friends and fellow Buffy lovers, and welcome to our podcast, where we discuss each episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in detail, focusing on digging deep into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing. I'm Leah. I'm Sarah. I'm Tabby. And this is Becoming Buffy. And welcome back to our Becoming Buffy podcast. This week's episode is definitely in my top five, uh, Innocence. And I know that we say, you know, that we like every episode. <laughs> but I swear, like, within the first probably five minutes of this episode, of like rewatching it, I was like, yeah, this is definitely in my top five. <laughs> Yeah, this is the episode that I think everyone has been eagerly anticipating and waiting for on top of surprise. But I mean, surprise is so good because you have the payoff of innocence. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I am so excited to talk about this episode. I don't think I've written so many notes for any other episode. And that's saying a lot because I write a lot of notes. But this episode is just iconic. And it's amazing. Well, you said this that this one is the highest rated of the whole series, right? Yeah, this is the top. This is literally the peak of Buffy. I will say this was my least favorite episode to write notes for. <laughs> I just I wa- I just wanted to watch it. I kept like staring up and like crap. I haven't written anything for a little <laughs> bit. I mean, luckily I've seen this episode countless times, so like I was able to like write down notes for it. But I was just like I was so glued to the screen. I've seen this episode so many times this and the season finale of the season and Passion, those three episodes I've seen countless times and I I just feel everything that everyone's feeling in the episodes every time I've seen it. And what's so crazy is that like because we're spread out, you know, watching the show because we're doing recordings with it, it's been a little while since we've seen like Surprise and it doesn't it doesn't necessarily always feel like we're watching it like binging it because it's just like a little bit more separate but it doesn't take away of from the impact of the episode like i still feel so emotionally moved even though it's for us it's been mm-hmm. like a couple of weeks since we've seen the last episode like it just is so it like this i i could talk for years <laughs> about this episode and just how amazing it's done i mean like every time i was doing my notes i was like oh you know like i'm writing in this scene i'm like oh you know this is so good and i'm like i love this scene and then it like cuts to the next scene i'm like i love this episode i'm done like writing in my notes like you forget how much is in it yeah well and it's just like it's not i don't want to say rare because that's unfair but it's more of like it is not super often that i watch other shows but it's like buffy as well where there is like an episode where every single like phrasing movement scene whatever catches my attention like there is not a single scene in this episode where I'm like "Eh, I could do without that like everything works together so well and I know I'm hyping it up a lot but 
um, because it, just, it totally deserves everything yep. that you give it. Yeah, exactly. No, this episode is phenomenal. I am so excited to talk about it. And just as a reminder to you guys, this is spoiler free. We're only going to be talking about everything up to this episode. As you all know, at this point, we did not have a spoiler section for surprise. Instead, we decided to combine our spoiler section for surprise and innocence into one episode. And that will be airing next week. So for this week, um, we will be talking about innocence. Today is going to be part one, simply just because there is so much to talk about. This episode is just full of some really good stuff. And we knew ahead of time, there was no way we were going to be able to even cover all of it in our normal round two hour-ish slot. So instead of having a four to five hour long episode, which makes you all freak out and you know never want to listen to another episode again, we decided to split it into two parts, which is for your benefit and ours as well. So today is going to be part one. And then on Thursday, you guys will have part two of Innocence. But yeah, anyway. I mean, we found out that uh, that was kind of an issue with... uh, What's my line? What's my my line? Yeah. Because like we were in the spoiler section and we're like, oh, shoot, like, what can we say about this that isn't going to be said about in the next episode? So it just makes it a whole lot easier. Plus, it makes the spoiler section feel way more rounded out Mm -hmm. just because... We have all the information we need, which I mean, if you're in the spoiler section, I guess you have all the information. Right. But there's little things that happen in the episode that I don't always think about. But I was thinking about what you were saying, Leah, when you're talking about how it feels like you're so invested into the episode, even though we're not binging it. Um, And I felt like that, too. I feel like I am getting so much more out of each episode as I'm researching every little thing. And as we're kind of like watching the character, like we're dissecting the character growth. And so I feel like watching Innocence this time around impacted me so much more because, okay, and this is me like outing myself, but I totally skip bad eggs most of the time. And and I'm like hitting myself. I know, right? Shocker. Thanks, Bex. I know. (laughs) Thanks, Bex, for converting me. But I see the importance of it now. There's some really important conversations between Buffy and Angel and um, important relationship dynamics that are happening. And so I'm seeing the importance of watching every single episode because it really sets you up and prepares you for episodes like this one. Um, So yeah, I'm enjoying it. I also think that like watching them – as a singular episode instead of like back to back to back to back kind of makes you observe it more as its own thing kind of mm. like what you were saying i'm acting as if you didn't just say that no you're fine. but like um cuz watching this one cuz i remember it it's been a while i think it's been a year for me since tabby and i binged like the whole show um and so i hadn't seen the scene in like a year and i just remembered like liking this episode because it was like like the the shock the shock of like you know angel losing his soul and then i watched it again and this was the first time i'd watched the episode as its own thing not in correlation because every single time i've seen this episode it has been binged because you can't not watch this episode yeah you can't just leave off on surprise and so watching this episode as its own thing was so interesting because i wasn't just watching it to like see the shock of like <gasps> Angel lost his sh- his soul. It was like watching it as its own episode and just observing 
how well done it is as its own story. And like, of course, it sets up stuff in the future, but as its own story, as Mm -hmm. its own thing, it is just phenomenal. And the fact that I hadn't seen Surprise, like, in weeks and still was so emotionally moved, like, just really, really, really goes to show how emotionally impactful Mm -hmm. this episode is. Every single character carries or actor i should say carries their weight in this episode like i was like and i again i've seen this episode so many times i'm just floored by everyone's performance in this episode like every single actor did a phenomenal job yeah i agree all right so let's get into it because i know that we see this every single week (laughs) i mean we truly mean it this time we have a lot to cover so much Um, So much so that we might actually have to make this into a two-part episode. So, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. (laughs) Which, I know that sounds annoying for you guys, but trust me, (laughs) that is for your benefit as well. Because I don't think anyone wants, like, a five-hour-long podcast. Yeah, exactly. I love podcasts, and even I don't think I could sit through that long of a podcast. So when it's shorter, that means, A, we don't lose energy, and so we yes. don't get to the end of the episode being like, okay, and, you know, Buffy's I now riding hate him this in the episode. rain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, that way we keep energy, but also, too, it's a lot easier to listen to. Yes, exactly. And we've got some really good – I mean, I, I'm speaking for you guys. I'm assuming you guys have good information to share because um, you always do. But I know for me, I have a lot of info and in quotes and things that I want to talk about. I don't really want to cut any of that out because that's why you're all here. So – Without further ado, let's jump right into it. Innocence. Written and directed by Joss Whedon, which, of course, this has his fingerprints all over it. And it aired January 20th, 1998, which I kind of like because it's the day after Buffy's birthday. So this is the second parter from Surprise. It aired on Tuesday the next night. Um, So Surprise aired that Monday. Then it switched over to its new time slot on Tuesday. And that's when they aired Innocence, which I was like, that was a genius move because way to get everybody well-adjusted to the new time slot. Um, It won an Emmy for Best Makeup is the highest rated Buffy episode ever. 8.2 million people watched it the night that it aired, which is a lot of people. Okay, little rant. I promise it won't be long because we have a lot to get to today. But I think one thing that gets me so mad um, thinking about the show is the fact that it came out in such an underappreciative time for it that it just like Mm – it has n- barely any awards. It has barely any recognition. And it's like, like, obviously, I know we're biased, but like, the acting is phenomenal. Music, like, production, makeup. Obviously, the makeup did win an award, which is amazing. But it's like all this stuff, and it's like barely any recognition. It makes me so frustrated because there are shows nowadays that, like, are maybe half as good as what Buffy is and they get awards and I'm like no like (laughs) Buffy deserves that oh yeah well it was a trailblazer like we wouldn't have the shows today if it wasn't for Buffy somebody had to start it all you know and I think I don't know there's a part of me that I mean I'm sad they don't get the recognition that they deserve but I'm also just kind of happy because it makes it feel like our fandom's little secret like we get to enjoy this little cult classic that not a lot of people know about, which means more people to show, you know? So I don't know. There's a part of me that's like, hey, that's why we're doing this podcast so that other people can know about how much we love Buffy as well. I agree. But then it's also incredibly hard to get someone to watch the show. True. Just because they never hear about it. 
and or they think it's like corny. And I'm always just like, like, I know the first season is really hard to get through, but like it gets so good. And I feel like sometimes it's hard, like people get lost and like Mm -hmm. the first like season and a half or so. But it's but once they get into it, they love it. But it's incredibly hard to get them into it. Yeah. But, you know, if they do get into it, it's totally worth it. All right, so Entertainment Weekly listed this episode as number two on its top 25 episodes of Buffy. I think well-deserved. All right, so just a fair warning to everyone. I know we all kind of are um, hating Joss, (laughs) but there is going to be a lot of Joss quotes in this episode um, simply because he did a director's and writer's commentary. And he also created the show, and I think it's important to hear why he wrote these things. So – um, I will be sharing a lot of quotes. Doesn't mean I advocate for everything that he has to say. And I think there's some things that like don't stand up now. I was, I, there's one quote in particular that I was like, oof, like this hits different now. Um, so just a fair warning, but I do think it's important to kind of get his perspective and he has some great behind the scenes things. So anyway, all right. Joss said Buffy was supposed to be created as a stereotype buster of the blonde girl being punished for having sex. But when they came back to the show after having the movie, they knew they needed her to be a sophomore so they could tell the high school story and they knew sex was going to pop up. They wanted to deal with it in a more serious way. They wanted to show a horror movie version of I sleep with my boyfriend and now he won't call me and he's also killing hookers in the alleyway. Josh said it bothered him that the blonde girl was always being punished. And then I wrote, you all can be the judge of how well he dealt with that um and here's the thing here's my little like spiel on this whole thing so joss has been touted as feminist for a very long time personally i don't and i think most people don't think he's a feminist anymore the thing is is that joss is an incredible storyteller he's a really good storyteller and as a writer you're always looking for something new and you're looking for something that's fresh and You're looking for a story that's the underdog because people like the underdog story. In the 90s, there weren't many strong female characters. So Joss saw that and was like, hey, as a writer, I have a story here. And so he told this story and basically he just kind of turned all the stereotypes on their heads and became touted as a feminist for it. And so I think he got away with it just because he's a good storyteller. And so when when we watch this this show – it's, I have to keep that in mind because when he talks about how he doesn't want the blonde girl to be punished, she is in a way, and he, although she does take the power back by the end of the episode, the thing is, is that Joss sacrificed that for the sake of a good story and it showed yes. his true priorities. Ah, I'm glad someone else saw this. You know? But, and I, I mean, I'll get to it in the certain scenes that I noted, um, but I will say even though this episode is supposed to be a metaphor for how um, the guy kind of flips a switch after he gets what he wants and he gets, you know, he gets sex, so he turns into this, like, douchebag. There's a couple lines and there's a couple hints and a couple times, I'm, like, <laughs> repeating myself. It's all good. Where there, I don't, I don't know what the word is, but there small instances of like sexist lines or Mm. like Mm -hmm. blame kind of put on Mm -hmm. Buffy and I don't know if this was intentional to show that this Mm -hmm. happens to women or Mm -hmm. if it was people like Joss who legitimately are Mm -hmm. sexist Mm -hmm. and not good people and put this in because that's genuinely what they believe Mm. well she Um, feels bad about like she thinks it's all her fault Right. Mm-hmm. 
Where right. It's like there was two people who decided to have sex together and the whole episode she feels awful that it happened and it was her fault. Right. And I and I mean, I'll, I'll talk about it more when those lines pop up. Mm-hmm. But I, I do want you guys to just like, I don't know, be aware for the fact that I think that there is a couple times where sure. there is some sexism that kind of come, comes across. Yeah. And, it, and there's a quote later on from Joss that I'll read. Um, and I kind of relate a little bit and sympathize. Let's just take a Take out the part where he's a bad person. I relate with him as a storyteller because you're kind of caught in this place of, I want to tell this story, but I don't want to be preachy about it. But I also don't like he, he I'll, I'll quote it later, but he talks about how he's like, I don't want to like punish her for having sex, but I also don't want to be like, rah, rah, teenagers, like go have sex all you want. Like, yes, and that's a good thing. He wanted to tell a story about like caution, but then he also like he needed to temper it with like, but then this also teenagers do also have sex, you know? So he was stuck between this like this rock in a hard place of like people have sex, but like how much sex is too much sex. Like then it gets really political, you know? And so yeah. I, I understand that frustration, but it's I'll just say ironic. He executed it well. No. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, um, I mean, this is slightly spoilery, but like going on later on to other things, like I think just this episode by itself, it's not maybe problematic, but over time there's a pattern that emerges. Yeah, um, I agree with that. And we'll just leave it there because I don't want to spoil anything more. But yeah, so I think that there's definitely some problematic things that pop up. Um, but as it stands, I do appreciate that he does actually give Buffy the power back by the end of the episode. Um, but it's still a shame that she has to be punished for her first time having sex, you know? So anyway, I guess you could say technically Angel gets punished for having sex too. But moving on from that, I don't want to dig deep into that. <laughs> so Okay. Joss says about the show, he says, I pitched it as the ultimate high school horror show, very basically taking all the pain, humiliation, alienation, and all the problems of high school and ballooning them into horrific proportions. The show works only if it resonates. That's the most important thing in the show. People forget this. People like to talk about the monsters and the makeup and the fangs and the horns and the whatnot. But the fact of the matter is the only thing that separates a show from any other, if it in fact is separate, is the kind of emotional resonance that we can get to by playing the entire thing as true life, just a little wonkier. And then he says, the two things that matter the most to me in the work that I do is emotional resonance and rocket launchers. He says, Big Party of Five, brilliant show and often made me cry uncontrollably, suffered ultimately, I think, from a lack of rocket launchers, which obviously Innocence doesn't have a problem with. And then he goes on to say, the episode Innocence to me is and probably always will be the most important episode of Buffy that we did. Important for a lot of reasons, important to the WB because we were moving to a new night and this was the episode we showed in our new slot as a second part of a two-parter, but it was important because it fulfilled the mission statement of the show and showed how far they had come since season one. So I thought that was really um, interesting and important. And I do think he's right. I think this is the very heart of the high school is hell metaphor. He also talks about how the actors were able to go to such deeper levels of pain and suffering, said he was pleasantly surprised to find that his actors could do comedy, horror, drama, anything he threw at them. He was like, oh, you guys can do pain? Duly noted. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> He's like writing pain and everything now. Um, I will say like I – even though I knew it wasn't just Buffy who got hurt in this episode, I did not realize the fact that there is pain in every, every single character 
but not just every like relationship every single individual character is going through some sort of mm. pain which it is all or glass I mean, shattering I, yeah and yeah. so i think that it's it is so amazing that obviously the focal point of this episode is Buffy and Angel's relationship. But I like that there's so much working components as well because the show is not just about Buffy. Like, it's about yeah. the characters as well. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and he gives a shout out to Sarah and David and says Sarah taking her performance to a new level in terms of the depth and the pain and the complexity and David going to a place we've never seen him before. He says, which was incredibly exciting for him and a little nerve wracking for us. We didn't know if he would suddenly become arch and ridiculous, but we found that there's a real monster in him and we were very happy to meet it. <laughs> I know. it's uh, Every time I rewatch this and then I see the switch between Angel and Angelus, it's so jarring. It's like, crazy. It's so fast. And I'm like, oh, here he is again. <laughs> Hello, yeah. Angelus. And especially like this was David Boreanaz's first acting gig, right? His and first so, big one. He'd been like on a couple yeah. soap operas. And so the fact that like this was kind of his breakout role and he practically plays mm -hmm. two very, very different intense characters. And I genuinely believe both of them. Mm-hmm. Like, mad props. That is talent. Yeah. Um, everyone wanted Buffy and Angel to get together, but Joss and the writers knew that everyone would get bored if they actually did, so they needed a twist to keep it fresh. And Joss says what people want is not what they need, and so they decided to keep them apart for a little longer. I agree with that. I think as much as I love Angel and Buffy, if you're going to – if you want to, like – lure people in and keep them interested. I think that if they just stayed consistently healthy, like they have been the past season and a half, people would lose interest. So you have to do something. Yep. Yeah. And they talk about, I think it was the show Cheers, how once the main characters infamously got together, the show's ratings plummeted. And so they wanted to keep it from happening. Obviously, there's a lot more going on. I think they would have been able to, but this is just a brilliant turn. They tend to do that with... um main characters in shows like in friends they tend to do that with like main characters like rachel and ross the entire 10 seasons is like will they won't they back and forth because it keeps people interested but then the side characters like chandler and monica which are the only good couple in that show <laughs> are like consistently healthy and are progressing the relationship in the background for like five seasons and then at the very last episode last moment they're like rachel and ross are back together and then they're gonna you know stay together forever but like i feel like that's kind of a cop-out but also like no one's gonna watch a show if everyone's relationships are all healthy and everything's good and dandy right. so i that's understand <laughs> yeah christine sutherland's favorite episode as a fan is innocence she said she had the most fun shooting a different episode later which i think you all can guess but this was her favorite episode just watching it objectively as a fan um, something interesting that Joss pointed out and that I also noted was a lot of the shots have at least three characters in it, sometimes more. It really gives a cohesive feel to the story and allows us to see how everyone is reacting without having to do close up, close up, close up. You often have shots where you can see like Xander, Jenny and Willow in it, or, you know, someone's in the background or whatever. And I think it, it, he says it allows the actors to play off of each other more. Um, and it, it makes the camera do a lot more work. So it's really interesting. 
Um, this episode obviously reveals the true big bad of season two, Angelus. Um, and it begins a tradition of the show always turning on its head halfway through the season. Like you think you know where it's going and then halfway mm-hmm. through it's like, what the heck is just happening? Like here we are, season or episode 13, and they're finally revealing the big bad. Like what yeah, in and the they, world? I mean, arguably season five is the one that they show a little bit more of it earlier on. But even so, then they don't answer questions until like a third through the season. But most seasons, they don't actually expose the real big bad. They kind of give little hints like, oh, maybe it could be this person. And then it's like, nope. But it's usually like halfway through. And then the second half of every season of Buffy is always like so theatrical. Yep. Someone referred to the show as Angel being afflicted with a sexually transmitted soullessness, <laughs> which made me made me giggle and I had to share it with you all. So, um, and Leah, you kind of touched on this earlier, um, and I noted this as well, but each of the Scoobies grows up a bit in this episode. Buffy loses some emotional innocence. I'm not going to say physical innocence because I hate the concept that purity- Because that's, that's sexist. Yeah, that's incredibly sexist. And your worth is not wrapped up in your sexuality. Yeah. Like, and whether you've had sex, I don't want to- Because yeah. no one says that about men. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Either way. So- uh, I will say, I think there is such a thing as losing some emotional innocence. I think that's part of growing up. Like, we're not the same emotional maturity as children, you know? Um, It's She loses some in the sense that the man she thought she knew and loved hurt her tremendously. Willow has to come to terms with the fact that Xander doesn't care for her in the way that she wants him to and may never do so. Xander does love Willow, but as a friend and him apologizing. Okay, so this is not me advocating for everything Xander does in this episode, but I will say him apologizing to Cordelia, coming up with a plan, helping Buffy was emotionally mature of him. And we saw yep. some maturity of no, him in I, this episode. I actually, I noted it when it would happen What I was very impressed. There's a couple times where Xander kind of, you know, puts his foot in his mouth a couple times in the episode, which is fair. He's still a teenage boy and he's still Xander. Um, but I really, really, really noticed a difference in him he when he snapped at cordelia he apologizes first Mm -hmm. and then when she bites back that's when he bites back at her um but also just like the way that he speaks to willow and all of that i just was very impressed with how he was handling things i just i saw him kind of grow up a little bit like he was he was very emotionally aware of the people around him and mm-hmm. i think that that is something we have not seen in xander yes, up until that this was point. a good way of putting it yes i absolutely agree with that i agree 90 percent of that i will say my only argument and frustration with him in this episode is the fact that he only apologized after cordelia like shot back so like he made that comment earlier and she was visibly uncomfortable and then later on she comments back about, I don't remember what she says as they were walking out into the hallway. And then later on, he apologizes. But I feel like if she hadn't, he wouldn't have apologized. I mean, I disagree. I kind of feel like sometimes you don't know the severity of what you say until you see someone's hurt and their reaction. And I really think that's what it was. I think he slipped up and said something awful and reacted poorly and didn't know it because he is still young and he is still kind of a little bit emotionally stunted. And then once he saw that the girl he was dating reacted and was 
not happy with what happened, that's when he took the steps to apologize. And I feel like that's a pretty normal reaction. I mean, I guess it's more like trial and error, especially if someone's younger. They have to kind of see the repercussions of somebody hurt to understand the weight of your words. I just wish that he had apologized without her having to react that way for him to kind of get it. Giles is maturing past his stuffiness and he's also trusting Buffy. Notice how he like sticks up for her and trusts her implicitly without questioning, which is not something we've seen him do in previous episodes as fast at least. Um, He also has to deal with the fact that his chosen daughter is growing up and the woman he loves betrays him. Um, It's to his credit that he sides with Buffy and doesn't shame or condemn her. Um, It's also really interesting to note that Willow and Buffy are kind of on the same journey and go through similar things. Like you're watching Willow struggling with stuff with Xander, and that's why I think she's able to empathize and she recognizes that Buffy is struggling with the fact that she had sex with Angel before anybody else does. Well, her innocence is about Xander and like her first, not first love, I will argue that to the day I die, but like someone that she really cares for her the glass is shattered and her innocence is broken a lot in this episode too so she definitely i love the parallels between them because she's really comforting to buffy in this episode yeah um this episode deals with the abusive boyfriend or guy who gets what he wants and then hurts the girl emotionally either by not calling or by shaming her um this is something that just like blew my mind there is a clear contrast in this episode between angelus and every other guy in the episode. Xander is very clear to Cordelia about what he wants, and he responds relatively well to Willow's admonishment. Oz is respectful of Willow and refuses to kiss her until she's ready. Giles supports Buffy and comforts her, and even Spike is shown to gently correct and love on Drew. Like, Spike (laughs) is healthier than Angelus. kills me. I know. I was like, what the heck? Like, they're healthier than Angelus right now. Like, but it's just interesting. Every single guy in the episode is shown to be like way better than Angelus. And I think they did that on purpose to show how awful Angelus is. I mean, he would have been regardless. I think that's genius, though, because um, like in, I forget which episode we talked about where they're talking, oh, I think it was Ted, where they're showing like the contrast of bad. Um, authority figures and then they made Giles like the pull yeah. opposite extra sweet in the episode it's yep. genius so in this episode if they really want to drive home how awful Angelus is they got to make everyone else seem really nice and like growing because it really highlights the douchery of Angelus in this episode <laughs> yep yep so okay that was my introduction Whew, got that all out <laughs> let's jump into the episode so we're in the warehouse Spike is not happy that they aren't leaving town, which I was like, this is a totally valid point, Spike. Um, he's like, Angel and Buffy know that that where we are, what are we doing? And I thought that he was right about since he was the only person that like was there inevitably like at the end of the episode or towards the end when everybody leaves, Spike's the one in the warehouse when they all come. So I was kind of like, he was right to be concerned. <laughs> Poor guys over there like, Darn it, Drew, I told you. <laughs> He's like wheeling away. <laughs> He's like, Drew, can you push uh, He's like, ah. <laughs> he tries to storm off. Then he's like, hey, uh, baby, can you push me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can totally see him doing that, too. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. So Drew is still wearing the red silk dress from the episode before. She reassures Spike that they won't disturb them, which honestly, she's been right up until now. So I'd totally listen to her. I'd be like, okay, Drew, I trust you. 
This scene is chilling to me simply because when I rewatched it, I, I thought that it jumped immediately back into that scene of uh, Angel losing his soul. I didn't realize this scene was before. I, I actually thought I was on the wrong episode of first. Like, I had to click out. Because I, I thought for sure it, it like jumped right into it. And so I just remember watching it being like, this is such a tease for every viewer ever because they're like, we don't care about Spike and Drusilla. Like, what's going on with Angel? But then it's like the fact that it's you don't know what's happening at the same mm-hmm. time that Angel's losing a soul. To see Drusilla's reaction mm-hmm. is jarring. Well, also because if you're a first-time viewer, you still don't know what's going on. So when you see them talking in the warehouse, you're like, can we just skip forward? <laughs> but then you see Drew have a vision and then she just smiles and you're like, no, this better not be where where it's going. And then it jumps to, you know. Yeah. I, yeah. I also have a question. Is the reason why Drusilla can feel Angel losing his soul because she is connected to him? Is she can is it because she's connected to him emotionally and because he's her sire? Or is it because of her mm. prophetic dreams? Or both? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think it's both. And I I mean, I had the same question too, but I think they they intentionally show that Drusilla is connected to Angel slash Angelus because of um, even Drew's connection to Buffy. I think they're trying to make the correlation like Drusilla is the walking embodiment of everything evil that Angelus did. And he's she's also the walking embodiment of everything we fear that Angelus will do to Buffy. And so it's important mm. to show her connection with him because it makes us that more much more scared for Buffy because we also see Buffy's connection connection to him so yeah i think it's i think it's both i think it's because he sired her and i think it's because she's also got the prophetic dreams so we see the same connection with buffy she dreams about angel all the time so it's like you know well that's why that's why i was asking because like obviously we know she she got her dreams but it just seemed i i think this is the first time correct me if i'm wrong because i know you know more than i do but at least this is the first time I can remember that she is reacting as something is happening instead of seeing something in the future. No, there's been a couple of times where she like she reacts when the Order Taraka guy dies and she's like he's passing below us mm, now. So like that's right, that's right. Yeah, so she, you, we've seen her react like this for other prophetic things, but um, it's interesting that it's happening with Angel. And again, it could just be her reacting because she prophetically knows, but I also think it's because she's connected to him somehow as well. So excellent question. I had the same one too. I was kind of like, Ooh, that's interesting. It's also interesting to note that Drusilla calls Angel her angel leading into the scenes we see later on where Angelus or Angelus is hitting on Drew. So I'm like, Hmm, what's going on there? And Spike definitely notices as well. Um, Spike is irritated that the judge is just sitting there as they discuss how his strength grows. Then we have that interesting shot of Drusilla. And again, it's it's kind of at an angle and you see Drusilla looking up and then you see the judge and Spike behind her. So again, everything is shot with like groups of three people at least. Um, So then as she laughs and it fades out from her, it fades to Buffy waking up again, that correlation between the two of them. Um, in Angel's house, it's still night, and Buffy realizes Angel is not there, which poor Buffy, like. Do, do you think that maybe another reason why they shot every scene, not every scene, but most every scene with three people was because then the, the scenes with just Buffy and Angel would feel more intimate and more isolating? Hmm. 
Quite possibly. That's a good point. I mean, it's interesting because they're the well, only and, ones. And the scenes with Willow and Xander. So it's like the only times That's you true. see people like more than three people is when oh. like there's relationships because then you That's have Xander and Cordelia as well. So I think it's meant to feel more like kind of chilling. Yeah. Or because you're killing the uncle. Yeah, you don't really see that though. It just is like a, cl- a quick walk in. Yeah, but I'm saying like it's 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 pivotal and it's kind of jarring because he goes in and kills the you know the first person that he kills. Yeah, that is that's a good point because in this episode you see um, a bunch of people in each shot, mm-hmm. and so the only time it's two is when something pivotal is happening yeah. in the relationship or whatever. Yeah, that's a good point. It totally could. Joss said the reason why I did it was because it was actually cheaper. <laughs> But um, and we'll get to it there. But um, he talks about how he likes to save all the big toys for himself. So like he really wanted a rocket launcher. So he knew he needed to save money. And so doing the bigger sweeping shots actually saves money, which allowed him to get a rocket launcher. So I thought that was funny. Um, All right. So we're back in the alley and we see Angel call out for Buffy again before he says, oh, no. And we have a prostitute smoking a cigarette. She goes to check on him, asks if he wants her to call 911. Angel with his back to us. There's a lot of these shots where Angel has his back to us. Um, He says, no, the pain is gone, which is obviously double meaning of he no longer feels the effects of his soul. Um, And then the whole you sure is for us as the viewer, as we're not quite sure what is happening and his killing of the prostitute is confirmation that he is indeed different. Joss wrote that they had Angelus kill the girl so that the audience would know that Angel was really bad and not just faking it. Um, Fun fact. Do you guys know who the actress is that plays the prostitute? Nope. I didn't (laughs) know she was a prostitute until you just said that right now. Oh, yep. I thought she was just a random lady. Nope, she's a hooker. Okay, yeah. good to know. Um, yes. I will write that down in my notes. Yeah, that's <laughs> super <laughs> important. She made the wrong night, man. That sucks. Yeah, yeah. no kidding. I mean, it's and like the classic nice. shot of him like drinking her blood and then blowing and the then smoke s- out. Smoking. So campy. Like, I guess it's like, no, let's it's think good. about it. I love that scene. I love it, but I'll it's also like, it. let's think about it. Drinking someone's no, blood. No, don't think about it. It doesn't make any like sense. <laughs> I mean, the scene is so cool. Such a cool shot. I love how it ties into the scene later on when he's with Drew and Spike and we see him pull out a cigarette Mm -hmm. and it kind of like he's like smoking kind of like insinuating like, you know, he's bad now. Because smoking Um, kills, guys. Don't eat. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I want to throw thinner metaphors. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Only the vampires smoke. You're like, hmm. (laughs) 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 But I don't do it together. Well, in um, well, in the what was it, the nightmares episode? They have the girl dying, and it says smoking kills the, the light that uh-huh. goes by in the basement. You anyway, know they got the abuse episode. bucks for those kinds of promos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're trying to get funding. Go ahead, uh, Leah. Cigarette companies are like, hey, can you give this cigarette to your villain? Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I, that's pretty much all I was gonna say. But I, I just, I think it's a little campy and it's a little corny. But I will say it makes for a really cool shot. Yeah, it's I iconic. Love it. Um, all right, so Buffy sneaks into her house, and initially I was like, "Why is she sneaking in through the back door? That doesn't make sense to me." Because every morning we always see Joyce in the kitchen. Like, why not the front room? Um, Joyce hears Buffy going up the stairs, asks if she had fun last night. Buffy's like, "Uh, do you know? Does Mom know?" And then we. Us, the viewers, along with Buffy, forgot that they did a round robin and that Buffy was supposed to have stayed at Willow's house when they were, Mm. like, out doing research at the library, which 
she didn't even actually have to sneak in then because her mom would have thought she's just coming back from Willow's house. But yeah. Joyce is also incredibly trusting because last episode, Buffy was grounded. So the fact that she's like, sure, yeah, you can totally hang out at Willow's house. I'm like, Joyce is... But I mean, to be fair, if my child had a like friend like Willow... I'd be like, True. yeah, go hang out with them. Like, she's I the one exception nothing. to your grounding. Yeah, it's like I know nothing's going on. Like with this person, I had friends like that in high school, where like o- o- early on in high school, where if they got like grounded or something, like I was like one of the only friends they would allow to hang out with because they like <laughs> knew we weren't gonna do anything. <laughs> I think I don't know. I just think it's funny everyone views Willow so innocently, and then she's like hacking into like government like documents and like files to get information i'm like "Eh." (laughs) you guys may not be like going around town doing sketchy things but there's a lot of damage you can do on the laptop seriously so joyce asks if something's wrong says that she looks and then trails off and i thought this was interesting because i was like hmm like again is this the whole metaphor of oh you've had sex so now you're like that's what i was thinking i was like i don't know if i love the way that they did that the way that I saw it was that Joyce recognizes that Buffy's not okay and that Joyce recognizes that Buffy is off. And I don't know. I didn't I, – I think it could be interpreted as, as like, you've had sex, you're different now. But the way that I saw it was more of like how a mom looks at her daughter when she's concerned. Yes. And it's just like, are you okay? Like that was the vibe that I got. Yeah, that's a huge part of it. Joss actually explains it. And I mean, we're jumping way to the very end of the episode. But this part is actually important because Joyce as a mom senses that Buffy isn't quite herself due to Angel not being there when she woke up. She's worried and concerned about him. But it's also important because at the end of the episode, Joyce tells Buffy that she hasn't changed. She says, you look the same to me. And that that is telling because Buffy feels like she's lost something. She feels like she's lost her innocence. And Joyce is telling her, no, you're still the same Buffy. You're still a good person that your innocence actually isn't lost, even though you feel like you're growing up. And I thought mm. that that was like a really beautiful a moment. I think Joyce recognizing that Buffy doesn't look quite herself, but that it's still Buffy, you know? All right, so in the library, I felt kind of bad for Xander in this moment. He's like, so I spent the night at the bus station. I was like, ooh, that's rough. Especially because I was like, oh, no, I'm Pada. I'm, I was about <laughs> to say, take my mic was muted. I was, I was about to beat to do it. I was like, did you see Pada's body there that no one saw? <laughs> oh, poor guy. Xander. And then, yeah, poor Ampada. He's Inca Mummy Girl is the new teacher's pet now. Um. So I also talked about how, like, or I wrote down how I feel bad for him and everyone. Buffy made them all go out and look for packages coming in while she went and had sex with Angel and fell asleep in his arms. I was like, but I mean, you know, oh, everything's come on. about she this. She had a horrible episode. So That's true. That one <laughs> I know. I wrote and then I'm like, well, everything's about to suck for her. So I guess we'll give her that. <laughs> At least she didn't have to sit in the rain. <laughs> so Xander, and may I say what a lovely place to spend the night. What a vibrant cross section of Americana. <laughs> Giles asks if there were any vamps transporting boxes. Xander, no, but a 400-pound wino offered to wash my <laughs> wash my hair. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Xander, that's gonna suck. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh. What a horrible night. Right. And then I was like, what? Can I just ask what Xander was supposed to do if he saw a vampire? They didn't have cell phones. How was he supposed to tell Buffy? That's true. Like, what was he the plan? Died. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, Xander notices that everyone looks solemn. Buffy never checked in. Giles thinks that the judge is already assembled, meaning Buffy could have been killed, which I was like, okay, this is like legitimately a – like it's a legitimate concern. Um, if Buffy hadn't checked in, I would have been pretty concerned too. Xander, to his credit, immediately wants to go to the factory and look for Buffy. Like say what you will about this boy, but he is brave, and I don't think that's ever something that we can question. Like no. he's – unquestionably brave i wrote that down for this um episode for this scene as well like yes i think he's a little bit motivated by his still feelings for buffy which i like i don't think that's a bad thing like i think sometimes you just you can't help that you're always going to have a little something for someone but i love that he's like i don't care what happens we need to go find out we need it like and I think that part of that is a Buffy rubbing off on him and Willow a little bit as well. But I think that's also just Sander. Like he's just standing up. He's challenging people. Like, and I think that this is this is the type of Xander that I love. That I love to see in the group. That I I just think when he is like this, he is such a key part of the group. Um, it's the times that he's not like this that he gets on my nerves. But I just I was really, really impressed with him in this scene. Yeah, especially because things like this give me hope that he can grow and be better Um, because, you know, so often it's like, oh, Xander's being this again. But instances like this, I'm like, okay, there is like a good character underneath all of there and, you know, hopefully we'll see more of it. Um, Cordelia doesn't want him to go, which I feel like this is a fair thing for Cordelia to say because, one, she cares for Xander. We know that. And so I think her saying that is her being like, I don't want you to die. But she's also trying to do it in a way that's like completely Cordelia. She's just being 100% honest, but not trying – she doesn't want other people to know what's happening too. Um, And Xander cuts back at her. Nobody's asking you to go. If the vamps need grooming tips, we'll call you in. Cordelia looks genuinely really hurt. Mm Mm-hmm. Giles agrees with Cordelia, and he can barely get out the word harm. Did you notice that when he's trying to say that, like, Buffy and Angel were harmed? You could tell, like, it's – like, he's trying to keep a very stoic face, but he's Mm -hmm. struggling. Um, Xander, those of us born with feelings are going to do something about it. And Jenny, good for her, sticks up for her man and immediately admonishes him. But Willow sticks up for Xander and says, my God, you people are all – I'm upset and I can't think of a mean word right now, but that's what you are. We're going to the factory. (laughs) I also noted that there is an interesting comparison between Willow and Xander being made in this episode because we've seen for about a season and a half now how – Xander feels kind of crappy about himself because Buffy goes for Angel instead of him. And in his eyes, he saw this as, you'll go for even people who are undead before me. That was, I think he even said something along those lines in Mm -hmm. one of the first episodes. And then now we're seeing the same type of um, kind of feelings and insecurities in Willow, who even though she has someone like Oz, and even though I think that she has moved on from Xander in a lot of ways... There is still that kind of like pain that's like, wow, like you will go for the people. And obviously I'm skipping a little bit ahead, but I noticed it in the scene simply because we're seeing Xander fight for Buffy while he's in a relationship with Cordy. And then later you see kind of Willow fight, not for Xander, but I guess like against Xander. Because even though she's in a relationship with Oz, like I just thought it was really interesting how we're seeing 
both of them kind of go through similar things, but react very, very differently. Yeah, that's really interesting, Leah. And I I noticed something similar just in the sense that like Willow immediately sticks up for Xander. She's like on his side and all that stuff. And so I think it's especially hurtful when later on he chooses Cordelia over her because she's like, I I was I was in your corner. I was sticking up for you. And I think later on, especially, we'll get to it, but when he talks about how he needs Cordelia to dress trashy and he needs a, a car and stuff like that, he looks apologetically at Willow because now he's aware. And that was growth. That was growth after him and Willow talked of him being like, oh, this is going to hurt Willow. And he was trying to tell her, hey, I need Cordelia for this. And it's not a slight on you. This is just something that she can do. you know. And so, yeah, it's interesting. There's layers going on here. And yeah, we'll get into it. Um, so they run into Buffy coming into the library. Xander, we were just going to rescue you, Willow. Well, some of us were. Looks accusingly at Giles, who's like stuttering over there. What? What? I would have. <laughs> um, Jenny immediately asks where Angel is because, oh, yeah, that's right. She has an agenda, which I keep forgetting. Um, Buffy is worried that Angel didn't check in with the gang, tells him that the judge is no assembly required, which I thought was a nice nod there. Um, Buffy explains that they had to hide it, which is interesting. She doesn't tell them that they spent the night together, which I was like, that's fair. I wouldn't either. Like, it's very intimate and personal. Um, but it's also interesting that when she's talking, it's a shot of the three girls. It's Jenny, Willow, and Cordelia. And I feel like with Jenny's body language that she possibly suspects something is up. I think that Jenny clues in probably about the same time that Willow does of what actually happened that night. Um, Giles asks for info on the judge. Buffy says that when she kicked him, it felt like a sudden fever that if he were to get his hands on her. And then Giles says that the stronger the judge gets, he can reduce people to charcoal with a look, um, which is terrifying. Giles um, says he's going to go look for a weak spot. Jenny volunteers to look on uh, online. And Xander, to his credit, offers to come help him research after class, which I was like, who is this person? What is going on? Um, and Cordelia, still reeling from his biting comment earlier, kind of bites back at him and says, you might find something useful if it's in an I can read book. And Xander, which is a good response, look, not going to lie. I was like, it is. Cordy. <laughs> right. Well, and Xander's look in this moment, he kind of clues in of, oh, I kind of deserved that. You notice how he doesn't roll his eyes or anything? I think yeah. he recognizes that, yeah, I, I was crappy to her. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also interesting that they're not treating each other any differently than they have in episodes past, but the jabs are starting to hurt because they're starting to care for one another. So in the hallway, um, there was a scene cut right after this um, of Buffy in class, and she's like sitting there as the teacher's droning on, and it's really artsy, like it fades, everything fades out as Buffy remembers that she had sex the night before. Um, they cut it for length, and it was really artsy, and Joss realized that he just confuses people when he tries to be artsy. <laughs> Um, Willow catches up with Buffy and asks if Angel had gone after the judge himself. Buffy thinks he's too smart for that, which is interesting because she repeats almost exactly the same thing that Drusella said in the first shot when she said that Angel was too smart to come after them again. So another little comparison between uh, Drusilla and Buffy. Willow and Buffy go upstairs and Jenny is shown to have been listening from around the corner. Um, Just another thing that I wanted to address with Buffy and Drusilla, it's really interesting because obviously we've talked about the correlations between the two of them, but later on in the episode, Angel looks at Drusilla and says, nobody knows me like you do, Drew, but it's Angelus that's saying that. And so I think it's really, 
I don't know. It's just parallels. so interesting. The parallels, the layers, mm-hmm. like it's just really clearly, interesting. Like, buff, like no one knows Angel as, mu- as much as Buffy does, but no one knows Angelus as much as Drusilla does, which again just shows the correlations between Drusilla and like the parallels between them. Yeah, absolutely. So in the warehouse, um, Joss says this. He says, season one, we had the master. He was great, pretty much surrounded by stuntmen and not a part of the kids' lives at all. The idea of Spike and Drew was to get somebody a little bit younger, a little bit funkier, who could walk in the lives of our characters and affect them on a romantic level, on a more visceral level than just, oh, I want to kill Buffy. And to bring some real twisted romance to their relationship was a fun new place to go. Vampires are even more complex than we thought they were as our people. I like that they made this villain kind of invasive because the master was very aloof and detached. And um, we kind of saw elements of this in Spike where he was very like, throw the textbook out the window, we're going to do what we're going to do. And I think Angel is like that as well. The only difference is Angel has a personal connection not only to Buffy, but the rest of the group, which makes it even more like just very close to the chest. Um, and I like that they are showing such different sides of each villain because it shows dynamic. Well, they're very strategically put too. Like the master, as boring as he was, was strategically put in season one because he was more hands off because the whole point of it was just to show that Buffy was coming not into her power, but just accepting it. And I think it would have been too much if we had a villain that was like, always at her all the time like you saw how stunted she was in nightmares where he like showed up and was released like she clearly wasn't ready for it and so it makes sense that the whole like theme of season two is becoming um because she's coming into her power she's becoming who she's supposed to be she's not fully herself she won't be fully herself to arguably the last episode in season seven but um it makes sense that as she's becoming someone as she's becoming an adult that the big bad would be somebody who is so close to her and is forcing her to catapult into that. Yeah, well, the master was supposed to be the very picture of her fear. She mastered her fear, and which was accepting being a slayer. Yeah. And now in this season two, we're watching her talk about how Her whole future is wrapped up in Angel and Mm -hmm. she's, you know, this is everything she's ever wanted and she's wrestling with the, you know, her human side and her her Slayer side and Angel is, you know, that elusive human side. And so this is one more thing that she's having to give up in her quest to accept who she is as a Slayer fully because the question that we're coming down to is can – Buffy the Slayer killed the vampire that she loves. Mm-hmm. But also, I think, like, since we did Bad Eggs with Bex, like, it's made me appreciate, like, a lot of the the bangle moments when they're talking about, and I like the, where it's placed, too. Like, I used to hate the fact that it was right before Surprise, but I think that's good because they talked about, like, the future, how she's, like, all I ever see is you. And then they jump straight into Surprise. And I think that as much as Buffy would choose Angel in a millisecond, to be in her life forever. I think that it's genius to have him be the big bad of the season because she can't become who she becomes if she just stayed with Angel. And if that that life that she really wanted and what the viewers really want, like what you said, is not what we need in a show. And so I think that her becoming who she's supposed to become is not supposed to be because of a boyfriend. And I think that the reason Part of the reason why they had him be the big bad is that she can be who she's supposed to be on her own. 
Yeah, that's a really good point, Tubbs. I, I kind of like to add on that a little bit. Uh, I'm sorry. I just got like... Um, that was very formal. Go ahead. No, though. I literally... I just got like um, <laughs> freshman year English flashbacks when, like, <laughs> when we would have to do like group... That's a good top- point. Yeah, like group topics. I really like so, your insights. Yeah, like group <laughs> topics about like To Kill a Mockingbird or something and I didn't do the reading and I was like, that's a great point. Let me add just on to that. Just yeah. yep. <laughs> Just to get like participation points. Anyways... <laughs> um all that being said i i just like frick i completely forgot what i was gonna say wow (laughs) and he's like i second (laughs) i'm like good point i'll go in with my point and i'm sure you're gonna figure it out yeah go for it um No, but that is a really good point. And I think we are obviously are leading up to something um, big at the end. But the the question that's being asked is, can Buffy survive without Angel on her own? Go ahead, Lee. I see you have it. Yeah, I just remember. Thank you. I was just going to say, like, I think that it's it's because it's a feminist show and all that. Not that you can't be feminist and have a boyfriend. That'd be stupid. But I do <laughs> like that for, for two seasons now, I mean – one and a half, same thing. We've seen Buffy be strong, be powerful, be independent, mm-hmm. but she's also had Angel by her side. Not that that takes away from anything she's accomplished, but she hasn't quote unquote done it alone, mm-hmm. whatever. And so I, I think that they needed to make Buffy alone romantically to show that A, she's just as powerful with or without a boyfriend, doesn't mm-hmm. take away from who she is. But also be like, just to show the fact that like, like kind of what Tavi was saying, like Buffy needs to grow. Buffy needs to get where Buffy needs to be. And I think that in your formative years as a teenager, whether you're a slayer or not, there's something to be said about being single and alone. You grow, mm-hmm. you learn, you mourn. Like it... It's powerful. It does Without having someone as a crutch. Yeah, you... I think the times when I grew up the most Mm -hmm. or was forced to grow up was when I was either going through, like, a breakup or, like, going through, like, a hardship, like, with a friend or something because I was forced to go through stuff alone. And I was forced to find my own way without leaning on other people. And I think that I love that they're doing it in a unique way with Buffy, but also making her grow up in a way. And as much as I absolutely, everyone knows I'm such a Bengal fan, as much as I love them together, Angelus is my favorite big bad of the whole series, just because of what it forces Buffy to go through. And it just further like drives home that she is such a good moral person and character because she, even in this episode, she was ready or she seemed like she was ready to kill him immediately. She knew what she had to do. And like, You'll see more of that in this season where she's constantly having to make the moral and better decisions over her love for Angel. And like, I just love that they did that as painful and as hard as the next half of the season is going to be. Like, you just see how much Buffy goes through it, but how much that like she makes the better decisions for humanity, even though like her world is crumbling. Yeah, and I think the question that we've all been kind of like the show's been trying to kind of show us is like, is Angel a distraction for Buffy from her slayer duties? And I think now that Angel's kind of, you know, even though he's Angelus and he's the villain now, it's like, 
okay, now we get to see the answer to that question. Like, can Buffy yeah. function do with that? on her own? And on top of that, is she going to put her slayer, her calling over her normal human life, over her emotions and desires? It's just a really, it's a really interesting place that we're headed. So anyway, okay, moving on. All good thoughts, all good thoughts. Joss goes on to say, Angelus's triangle with Spike and Drew was real trouble because now the villains were really a part of Buffy's life, not just external, something emotional that she couldn't fight. Um, and he talks about how they had Angelus kill the girls so that the audience would know that the angel was bad and not just faking it. And then they had the judge in this scene so that Spike and Drew would know that he wasn't faking it, that he this was This scene is so funny yeah. <laughs> to me because he comes in and then like – the judge puts his hand on him or whatever. And then uh, Angel goes, I think he's broken. <laughs> um, all right. So Drusilla's laying down on the table. Oh, dramatic. Like Spike is looking at her with a ton of adoration and love, asks if she's feeling better now. I'm naming all the stars. Spike, you can't see the stars, love. That's the ceiling. Also, it's day. <laughs> and I think this – I love this scene, and I, you guys know this, but James Marsters talks about how in the script he, he was supposed to be very snarky mm -hmm. with her and short, but James changed it because he's like – Spike wouldn't talk to Drew like that. Spike mm -hmm. loves Drew, and I love that choice. It's um, definitely consistent for their healthy relationship we've seen so far. Their healthy relationship. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. But, uh, you know, as healthy as vampire relationships can be. Drusilla, I can see them, but I've named them all the same name, and there's terrible confusion. <laughs> it just reminds me of a conversation I would have with my three-year-olds. Like, they all have the same name, but they're all mm -hmm. confused now. Or it's like in um, Finding Nemo, he's like, this half is Marlon Jr., this half is uh, <laughs> Coral, Coral Jr., Jr. <laughs> and this one will be Nemo. <laughs> yeah, right. I like Nemo. Spike asks Drew if she's seen what happens to Angel, then we hear him come in. Um, and Angelus comes in and pretends to be Angel, says, as long as there's injustice in the world, as long as scum like you is walking, well, rolling the streets, I'll be around. Look over your shoulder. I'll be there. Um, and when he lights his cigarette later on, you'll see the angel's wearing his clawed off ring, but it's on his right hand and the heart is pointed towards his fingers, meaning he's single and looking for love. Hmm. Yeah. How can you see that? Did I noticed. Zoom in? Well, no, I noticed that he was wearing his ring, but I didn't notice the fact that it was in the incorrect position. Yeah, because they intentionally show when he's like holding his hand to light his cigarette, he's got the mm. ring. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because the creepy thing about Angelus is where Angel was more haunted and stoic, Angelus is lighter and he creepily smiles and like chuckles and giggles all the time. And, yeah, completely it's different. So character. weird. Mm -hmm. But I like this because I feel mm -hmm. like a lot of times, like guys will use that trope of like, I'm a tortured soul. Mm -hmm. I'm very like, I've gone through a lot that. of my life. Right, and use that to kind of, like, manipulate girls into thinking they're mature and deep and blah, 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 blah. Whether or not they have been through life, it's irrelevant. Um, and then, like, once they kind of get what they want, they turn into, A, someone completely different, but also just the fact that, like... Themselves. Themselves, yeah. Like, their true self is kind of revealed where they're very, like, carefree, nothing bothers mm -hmm. them, like... And they have this sense of, I don't want to say confidence, but more of like an ego. Yeah. Yep. They feel like they don't have to be so polished. They can just, you know, let it all hang out because they got what they wanted. 
Drew sits up in anticipation of the judge burning him. Um, Spike tells Angel to look over his shoulder. The judge goes to burn Angel, but nothing happens as the judge says, this one cannot be burned. He's clean. There's no humanity in him, which we talked about this briefly, but it's an interesting contrast to the episode before where he says that Spike and Drew have semblance of humanity in them. They feel jealous. Well, then why didn't the judge burn them? That's just like, I just don't understand that. Well, because Spike reminds him, hey, we brought you into this world. Like, we 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 can help you. Like, they kind of protect the judge I while guess. he gains strength. So I would I could see the judge burning them once he's gained full strength. Mm. But they, I think it's that he's one of the missed opportunities of the show. I feel like he could have been really scary if they kept him in longer. And I'm kind of sad that he's only in like an episode and a half. Although I will say, even though he could have been a good villain, he kind of gives me like the master vibes where he's very like <laughs> ominous, very kind of like slow, needs to gain his strength until he's, he's fully powerful. Though. Sure. Yeah, for sure. I think he's a better version of the master, but it's very like he's very archaic. He's very like he has a lot of similar traits to the master. And I think mm. I like that the new villain quote unquote, um, of the season is something completely opposite to the master. Because if we got a villain that was just the same, then we wouldn't be able to see Buffy grow in the ways that we did or do. You guys haven't seen him yet. I have. I mean, we've just talked about this before, but David Boreanaz is just phenomenal. You can tell he's really enjoying and relishing his role um, and he said later on that while Angel was a man of very few words, Angelus liked to monologue, so that was quite a shift for him. <laughs> um, one of Joss's favorite things to do is the long sustained take, like we talked about before, and this is the first of one of those. You see following Angelus as he strikes the match and Drew walks beside, behind him and then jumps down and then she's talking to him. And it's interesting because she gets down and she holds his hand and then the camera follows her as she leans to Spike. And it's it's really clever because it shows that they're a team. Um, and he says he was able to do it because he wrote the scenes and he knew he was going to be on time and be able to actually direct them. I noticed that as well, but I I didn't see it as like, oh, they're a team. They're all happy together. I saw it as a visual representation of the tug and pull that was going on between um, Drusilla and, oh, and Spike absolutely. and Drusilla and Angel. So it, on the outside, it looks like she says right before, like, we're one big happy family, blah, 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 grabs both their hands. But... When you look a little closer, you see that it starts off with um, Angel and Drew close together, which makes sense because he's the one who sired her. And then Spike comes and pulls her away from Angel. And then she's closer with Spike, but she's still holding on to Angel. Mm -hmm. So I thought it was like this really, really cool, Mm -hmm. like almost like a dance in a way of like Mm -hmm. kind of their little love triangle going on. Absolutely. And like her words are, we'll feed. And she goes to Angel, who kind of like snaps at her. And then she goes and we'll play. And she goes to Spike. And I wrote like the question is, how separate are those two things? Because often the feeding and the playing are like very similar to the same thing. So yeah, there's very much a love triangle that they are building towards here. Because then you even have Spike talking about how sick it made him to see um, Angel as the Slayer's lap dog, which again, another imagery of Angel as a puppy, like and as a dog, like we yep, keep seeing so that many pop of up. Them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And then Angel growls, grabs Spike's collar, and then kisses his forehead. And you see Spike for a moment there. There's a little bit of fear in his eyes. <laughs> I think this is one of the, the few times we see Spike genuinely scared. Like, we've seen him kind of, like, get surprised when Buffy has kind of been more powerful than he expected. But I think that there's a genuine fear that he has of Angel that he really doesn't have about anyone else. Hmm. Yeah. David Boreanaz also said that this moment where he strikes the match and lights a cigarette is one of his favorite moments from the show. That's random. It is random, but he thought it was really cool. So <laughs> I think it's because it's so counter character to Angel that Could it was be, like yeah. something he never thought he'd mm. be able to do with the character. Could be. I can see why, like, I mean, I'm obviously partial to the show, but I can see why a lot of these actors like their character was their favorite to play just because it was so multifaceted. Like even Alison Hannigan and like during COVID did like an interview and someone asked her what her favorite role was. And she said Willow was because she was able to play so many different types. She was able to do horror. She was able to do um, a comedy drama, like all the different types of things. And she said she just had so much fun with it. Yeah. Um, Drew asks how it happened, and in interesting because Angelus gets kind of pensive and says they won't, they wouldn't believe him if he told them. Um, and then Spike talks about how it is them four against Buffy. Drew tells them they are going to destroy the world. If you guys hear chewing noises, it's my puppy, so just ignore it. <laughs> um, Drew tells him they are going to destroy the world as if it's a secret. Angelus says he's only interested in the Slayer. Spike, well, she's in the world, so that should work out. <laughs> Angelus wants a night before they unleash the judge. Spike is surprised that he has it out for Buffy. Angelus said, she made me feel like a human being. That's not the kind of thing you can just forgive. And I was like, oof. I just, I feel like that's so ominous of what a lot of guys say, not about feeling human, but like having feelings. They kind of twist it on the girl. So they'll be mm. like, oh, I, I'm not ready for that. I don't want like a serious relationship. So they kind of screw them over. And then they talk crap about how emotional the, that they were rather than just owning up to the fact that they felt something for them. And then they weren't ready for that. I think that this is also like interesting too because it's kind of like bittersweet because a part of it is like happy because you're like oh my gosh like Buffy was able to make Angel feel like that make him feel human make him feel wanted loved and accepted everything that he was and had done but then you're also another part and you're like Ooh, but that's what made him Angelus and like it's like happy but then it's also sad because it's just like Buffy was completely loving and caring to Angel. Like, she did everything right, you know? And it's just, it's so sad. Yeah. Well, it's like, how much does Angelus feel what Angel feels? Like, it, this kind of implies that they kind of both feel the same thing. So you have to wonder if Angel himself is feeling all these things as Angelus is doing them to Buffy and everyone else, you know? And then you're like, oh, man, like, now I feel worse. <laughs> All right, so in the library, <laughs> Joss, this is one of my favorite things about the commentary. Joss Whedon said that um, Tony Head, Anthony Stewart Head, in all the scenes where you can only see from the waist up, is not wearing pants. <laughs> what? Yeah, he said Tony Head hated wearing pants. So in this episode or in this scene in the library, you see Giles all the way in the back there, and he goes, Tony was very angry about having to wear pants in this scene. <laughs> 
That just and makes sense. Would he just wear shorts? Like, could you imagine wearing basketball I shorts know. and then a stuffy Giles outfit up on the top? I don't know what he I was wearing. I don't know wearing. how the actors would get through the scenes. I would just die laughing. I'd be like, oh, boy, you need to put your outfit on because I cannot see you as Giles. No, but that right. that's a normal thing. I like a... Uh, a lot of like gossip girl photos. Oh yeah, we talked in the about sets. that. Yeah, yeah, they, it would be like they'd be the wearing sweatpants. Like, yeah, they'd be mm-hmm. wearing like a dress on top, and then you cut to the scene they're wearing UGG boots or like they're wearing sweats underneath because they're only filming from the waist up. And I know there's a lot of other shows that will do that too, like because I I think it's just a way of like making the actors as comfortable as possible, especially for like long shoots. And I bet mm-hmm. you that episodes like this. They it was so like strategical and like kind of put together that like they were probably there for much longer and it felt a lot a lot longer so they probably were just kind of like we'll let you do whatever. I feel like it would help me like get into character more wearing like the whole outfit though. Like I feel like if I was wearing like Giles stuffy outfit from like the waist up, but then like Bermuda shorts underneath, I'd be like very confused like character wise. Yeah, I guess that's why we're not actors. You know, Tony Head was able to do it. All right, so this this is another long shot. Um, Xander, say hi for me. Apparently, that's like Joss said that was one of his favorite lines of the show was say hi for me. I don't know why that was his favorite, but he said it was. Interesting. That's the mind of Joss. Weird. I don't get it. <laughs> Willow is on the phone trying to reassure Buffy that Angel's not dead. She apparently beat up Willie the Snitch a couple of times. Um, they note that she's extra wigged and Buffy's going to join them after she stops at home first. So Xander goes up to the stacks to find Cordelia, and he apologized for snapping at her, which good for him. I know we talked about this before, but good for him. Cordelia tries to play it off like it's normal, but it definitely hurts her. And she points out that he snapped at her because he was too busy thinking about Buffy, valid point, and says he'd never die for Mm -hmm. her. And this was his moment. I know. Yeah. Xander. Yeah. This was his moment to say, yes, I would. And said, it's, no, I might die from you. Does that get me any points? Or I might die from you. <sighs> like, mm. okay. And I think, I think again, this is Xander using humor in a situation he's uncomfortable with. But like, I don't want to say that that gives him a pass. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's still not okay. Um, yeah. Also, apparently, uh, Joss Whedon would write weird things in the script. And in the script, there's this part where they're kissing it the, is the line they have in der big smoochin <laughs> oh what i don't know Ew, okay yeah you just as have if I need more reasons to hate him oh my gosh okay um so Xander wants to just kiss and make up cordelia doesn't want to make up but she is fine with kissing him which this is an interesting moment because we're seeing their relationship actually take a teensy step to evolving in us Evolving to something other than just physical, which I think, you know, we'll take at this point. Um, They aren't quite past physical, but it's a start. I feel like this actually scene shows their lack of emotional connection. Like the fact that they both, they kind of equate physical connection Mm -hmm. to emotional connection. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that she she's like, oh, I don't want to forgive you, but I'll be physical with you because Mm -hmm. that's just how they both know how to connect. Mm -hmm. And so it shows a lack of emotional maturity on both their parts. But also they didn't recognize or even give or even acknowledge, sorry, their attraction to each other, but just made out for weeks. So it makes sense that that's their default. They're like, I don't know how to connect with you in this moment. I feel uncomfortable. So let's just make out. Like they lack, like Leah said, they lack an emotional depth in their relationship. 
they're doing everything backwards. They're yeah. like going through the physical mm-hmm. steps, but they're not talking and they're not relating or anything. And yeah, it's And the physical steps are only – they're so enjoyable if you actually connect with the person. So it's important to fill, like build that foundation first. Yeah, at least for a long-term relationship. Yeah. I think that they're also showing – and I think they're showing the differences between different unhealthy relationships. Not that Buffy and Angel were unhealthy, but in the metaphor, it's like kind of the fact that it was like an unhealthy relationship. And so they're showing that like their relationship was unhealthy because the, the guy was kind of scum and putting up a false friend. Uh, but I like how it shows that Buffy and Angel's relationship was very much emotional and it wasn't physical until this past episode mm-hmm. and their relationship had had a lot of issues mm-hmm. and then cordelia and xander are mainly physical but their their relationship has issues so it's like showing that each relationship has its issues just in different ways yeah yeah and Joss talks about how one of his favorite things is the evolving relationships. And he talks about Cordelia and Xander. He says, the fact that they fall for each other would be the perfect sort of romance because they are so very wrong for each other that, of course, they must have each other and have each other now. Said Charisma did a good job showing the vulnerability in this moment that we haven't gotten to see before. One of the realities of high school is nobody is what they are forever. They change alliances. Their alliances change and sometimes dissolve, which I thought was really insightful. And then we have this moment where they kiss, they pull back to reveal Willow looking at Xander. She's not looking at both of them. She's looking at Xander in hurt and shock. And Joss says, there is nothing more painful in the world than Allie when she makes her big eyes. When she makes the big hurt eyes, there's nothing you can do. She just kills you. And she can also play extraordinary pathos and huge comedy at the same time. I loved shooting this. It's just like... It's insane because, like, this scene is so hard. Like, the one they just, like, run out into the hallway because there's a part of you that's like, oh, my gosh, like, Willow, how how could Xander do that to her? And blah, blah, blah. blah. But then you're also like, wait, like, Xander actually isn't necessarily doing anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, he's just someone who has an attraction to a girl and has a relationship with her. The only thing he's done wrong is not telling his friend that he was acting on that attraction. Uh, But that's not what, you know, she's mad about. She's mad about the fact that he is attracted to everyone else besides her, which is a valid thing to be upset about. But Sander isn't doing anything wrong. And so it's such a good scene because you're kind of torn between two of these friends who love and care for each other so much but just not in the same way. And it's just so heartbreaking. Both of them did such a good job. Well, I think the one thing that he's doing wrong in this situation is the fact that he knows that Willow isn't to him. Mm-hmm. And he's been kind of leading her on in a lot of ways. I don't think that he's like trying to like be malicious about it, but he's, he's, Let's say he's using her feelings for him to his advantage and he's kind of using that and like and she's observed him fall for so many random girls that he's just met and pine after her best friend and she's not used that against Buffy at all. So the fact that she has to observe all this by her tongue, hoping that he doesn't know because if he 
did and that would just make it so much worse and i think that at this moment she like knew or even just like had to face the fact that she knows that he knows sorry if that makes any sense um and that she's like it's kind of like the glass shattering you're like he doesn't care about me and the fact that he's dating all these girls and not giving me any time of day is so heartbreaking I would kind of argue, though, that he hasn't led her on since the ending of season one. Since that scene where she kind of stood up to him and was like, I'm not going to go to the dance with you. I'd, like, well, I'd say Inkamami Girl. That's season, that's episode four? What yeah, is he, what is he doing, Inkamami Girl? No, I'm saying since then, it's been a little bit different just because that's the, well, that's the episode that um he starts dating on Pada and she selflessly was like oh you guys can go to the dance together or whatever no i know but i'm just saying because i think everyone on here knows that i'm not the biggest fan of xander but i genuinely wholeheartedly believe that since willow has kind of made her feelings a little bit more known to xander that he really hasn't done when anything. has she done that though when she, she kind of she kind of made her feelings known at the end of season one when she was like i'm not going to go to the dance with you i don't want to be your backup like she's never that meant like a romantic way. i think that that just would have that's just a crappy thing that he would do bringing his friend when he's mopey i wouldn't want to sh- do that with a friend sure but i think that it was kind of implied that she had some feelings there but i think that i haven't seen any scenes since season one since that scene where Xander has kind of led her on. The the I think the only I changed my mind. The only thing would be when she was bad. When she was bad. Yeah. It's complicated because is Xander at fault for having a secret relationship? He wants to tell Willow. The thing is you see in um what's is it what's my line? Oh no, it's a surprise. It's the very last episode, um, the one before this, where he tells Cordelia, Hey, like, let's go as a couple. Like, I think it's crappy that we can't tell our friends. And it's Cordelia who doesn't want to tell them. So Xander is not telling his friends because he knows that's what Cordelia wants. He's putting Cordelia first. And Cordelia's the one he's in a relationship with. So I don't fault Xander necessarily for not telling Willow. I think it hurts because they are such good friends and he knows that she cares for him. Um, but I don't know that he's necessarily entitled to tell Willow. And I, I know that sounds like a really crappy thing to say, but he really isn't. I think it's only because he – yeah, I don't know. And I, so I don't I, I fault struggle. him too much. I just feel bad for her because yes, that's just no, absolutely. I yeah, I I agree, Sarah. Like I don't I don't really think he's done anything wrong. Do I think that maybe a better way of going about it would be to tell his friend because they are best friends? Yes. But do I think that that makes him at all wrong in this situation or at all like a villain in this situation? Absolutely not. I think that both mm-hmm. of them are absolutely entitled to what they're feeling in this episode. I think the thing that is crappy is the fact that he's in a relationship with someone who's wrong for him. And we know that because she's not letting him tell his friends. And she's, and the reason why she's not letting him tell his friends is because she's ashamed to be around him. So like that in itself is not healthy. And so it's kind of like if there, if she's like, Hey, I, I don't want to tell people because like for any other reason that's healthier, you know, then you'd be understandable. But the fact that it's like, it's not healthy makes us want to side with Willow. Well, up until surprise. They've been on the same page about not wanting to p- tell people. Yeah. And then the last yeah. episode, he was ready 
and she wasn't ready. So I agree with you. I think like her getting frustrated because he was the treasurer of the I hate Cordelia club. Um, and then now is dating her. I can see how like Will is kind of calling that out being like, we know who she is or who she has been. So I don't understand why you would like her or even try to date her. And that's why Willow, I was about to say Allison. That's why Willow is so emotional too is yes, it sucks that he's dating someone else, but also the fact that they've grown up in elementary school, like all together, seeing how crappy she can be. And for her, she's like, the fact that you'd want to date that. And Cordelia has grown, but she still has is doing crappy things. Like well, and I, lo- it's not I love just, her character, but I'm not gonna dismiss that. Well, and it's not just the fact that Cordelia has done crappy things. It's the fact that Cordelia has done crappy things to Willow. Oh yeah. 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 Oh, absolutely. So I think yeah. that it's like her pain is multifaceted and like, I'm not going to like dismiss her feelings at all, but also like Xander is not completely in the fault in this episode when yeah. it comes to that, at least. Yeah, totally. Um, and Cordelia, interestingly enough, looks either like sad or like, oh no, Willow found out. And I can't tell if it's because she knows how this will hurt Willow or because once again, Xander is chasing another girl. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's hard to decipher. I don't think it's the latter. I didn't feel that. I think that she just feels a little guilty that that's how it came out. Mm, I think she feels guilty, but I think she also notices how upset Xander is. And we've seen the fact that- And they're really close. Right. And we've seen the fact that she's starting to really care about him. So I think that when he's upset, she's getting upset. Mm, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Willow, I knew it. I knew it. You two were fighting way too much. It's not natural. Xander, I know it's weird. Willow, weird. It's against all laws of God and man. It's Cordelia, remember? The We Hate Cordelia Club, of which you are the treasurer. Xander, look, I was going to tell you. (laughs) Willow, gee, what stopped you? Could it be shame? (laughs) (laughs) Love that I love when Willow gets mad because she's so biting and funny. It's like, yes, Willow, finally express yourself. And she wasn't like rude. She just was being honest in this scene. Like everything that she said, I would stand by. Yeah. And Xander, all right, let's overreact, shall we? Willow, we we were just kissing. It doesn't mean that much, which he's half right. Like, let's not overreact. But the fact that he says we we're just kissing, it doesn't mean that much. Like, again, not a lack healthy. of emotional connection in yes, the relationship. not healthy. Yeah. And then this line, so powerful, Willow, no, it just means that you'd rather be with someone you hate than be with me. Ooh, the way she delivers this, so good. It is so good. And like, it's powerful. But at the same time, it's like, I think, like, I hate to say this because I know it's like an iconic line, but I think that's unfair of Willow to say simply because like, you can't dictate who you like. If he doesn't mm-hmm. like Willow, he doesn't like Willow, and that's okay, well, you know? And it's also, it's just like, Willow, like, he is not entitled to like you. And I love Willow. Like, this is yeah. not me bashing on her character. She's hurt, and she's confused. And I thought she totally has that right. Um, But we gave crap to Xander when Xander was saying stuff to Buffy about her liking Angel over... Xander, we said like, hey, Xander, this isn't about you. This is about Buffy. And it's the same thing with Willow. As much as I love Willow, it's like, this isn't about you. This is about Xander and his emotions towards Cordelia. And she has every right to be hurt. But, you know, it doesn't involve her. I kind of viewed this scene a little bit differently. I... I have more of an issue with her and Oz's interaction later on because I think that's the fruition of this moment. Um, 
but I think that this moment is like multifaceted only because I think it's it's partially that, but I also think it's her having to vocalize the truth of it. So her saying it out loud is like, no, this just means you'd rather be with someone you hate than be with me. I don't think that she's trying. She might be, but I don't, for me personally, I don't view it as her being like, you need to be with me. Why don't you love me? I think it's her having to vocalize and like breaking the innocence in her own mind and how she views Xander and her being like, no, you just don't like me and you won't like me, and you'd rather date everyone else than view me romantically. I don't blame her that much in that moment. I don't view it as her kind of like trying to, trying to pin it on him. I frustrate. I get frustrated with her snarky responses about them comparing their significant others and her kind of using Oz later on. Um, I love Oz in that scenario, but and she does grow after that conversation, but uh, I think this moment, it was mostly her trying to tell herself like, he doesn't like you. Yeah, maybe. I just, I mean, he says it doesn't mean that much. I mean, this is her comparing apples to oranges. And I think Leah was correct in that. I think the thing that Willow is saying is, yes, this is expressing her hurt, but it also kind of feels a little entitled to me. And I think like we got on Xander for feeling entitled to Buffy. I don't want to like, I think Willow's feeling entitled to Xander and her saying just because Xander's with Cordelia doesn't mean he like, well, I guess it kind of does mean he doesn't want to be with Willow, but like it doesn't have to be either an either or situation kind, you know, I don't know if I'm explaining it very well, but I don't know. It just kind of hit me while we were talking about it that I think that Willow does feel entitled to Xander to a certain extent, which it's hard because they've been friends for so long. There's a history there. Well, they've been aligned on everything. So I think this is the one yeah. time where it's like, you were the little treasurer of like this yeah. group that we formed when we were little. I always think of that Friends episode uh, where they all like hated, I hate Rachel Club. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, with Brad, with Brad Pitt. Pitt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, she's like, I think this guy's hitting on me. He's like mouthing, I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, but like, oh, shoot. No, I just forgot my point. I got distracted by a Brad Pitt in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's okay. We can move on. I mean, we can yeah. hash it out more later and stuff. But um, yeah, it's just an interesting thing to think about. Um, and it's hard because Willow, what she's feeling is completely relatable. You know, we've all been there. For sure. So at Buffy's house, um, this was where they were originally going to shoot the scene where Buffy runs into Angel and he's really mean to her, the scene that they ended up shooting um, in the bedroom, but they weren't quite able to get it. So Joss wrote it with them all in their wooly overcoats on the front lawn. And he says, like, Sarah and David just like could not get there emotionally. And Sarah thought it was all her fault and she was really upset. Um, but then Joss realized that they weren't getting it because it was an intimate bedroom scene it had to be in the place where they consummated their love and angel had to have his shirt off it needed to be as intimate as possible um and he says that you know this scene one of the most pivotal things we ever did and one of the most interesting scenes for me as a writer the fact that i thought i could play in wooly overcoats on the front lawn shows that i still have a lot to learn as a writer and director mm. when we were recording surprise i well since we didn't do a spoiler version for it i'm gonna say it now <laughs> um but when she walked into the apartment and surprised before they have all the smoochies before school, I feel like this was such a like I I know they didn't mean to do it because in this episode they ended up changing the scene like Sarah said. 
But I love the parallels because she walks into his apartment all emotional because she's like, I had a dream like about you and like was like thinking that he was going to like die or leave her. And she walks in and he has his shirt off and he puts on his shirt. And so it's like that intimate scene. Um, And then you walk in and there's a parallel in this one where she's like, I couldn't find him. I didn't know where he was. And then she walks in and he has his shirt off and he's putting a shirt on again. But this time it's like her suspicions were true. And it's just, it's so sad. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really interesting parallel. We see, um, so yeah, she goes to her house kind of like makes a resolve face and decides to go to his house to find him. Um, and we hear their theme song playing and we see a shirt on Angel's bed. Um, it's interesting because Buffy sheds her coat at the door, which is really important. They're both very vulnerable in that moment. Um, and as Buffy goes to pick it up, a shirtless Angel appears. And it's interesting because I was like, okay, is Angelus aware that she's there or is he ignoring her or is he oblivious? Because I'd like to think that he knows she's there and he's intentionally ignoring her. Um, I think it fits better in the context of the that. scene. Because, you know, he has, like, vampire hearing and stuff. There's And he got to smell her and they have a connection. Like, there's got to be some way that he knows she's there. Um, I 100% but, think he's just trying to play it off. Yeah, I think so, too. But, I mean, I don't know. So Buffy hears him, immediately runs, and you can see her tear-straight face as she hugs him and tells him she was worried. The vulnerability in her oh, acting is, like, it's heartbreaking. Because, like, even though you don't know exactly what's going to go down, you know it's not going to be good. So you see her running up, and she's just so tender. Like, they are brutal for putting the tenderness of Bengal in this moment when it's not going to be reciprocated. Because if this was actually Angel, they'd have a really sweet moment. He would reciprocate the tenderness. It would be such a sweet moment. So the fact that she's all like, like she's already like crying and she's just like, Angel, like, like I thought, I don't know where you were. I was so worried. Like her voice is like cracking. Oh, it's like, it's just setting up for such a heartbreaking but amazing scene. Well, and it's just like, this whole episode all i could think about is just the fact that like angel is gaslighting her so freaking bad yeah because she's like so i'm bad. so worried i'm so and he's just making her feel he's like crazy i was out well mm-hmm. yeah but he is just making her feel emotional and this is what guys do like they're mm-hmm. very like why are you reacting this way but when you know mm-hmm. that previously they were emotionally charging the situation and reciprocating it and so when the girl reacts this way. Mm-hmm. It's not crazy. It's not emotional. But Mad Woman it's by Taylor Swift plays in the background. <laughs> um, but it's the way that, you know, they flip the switch that makes girls come off as crazy, even though they aren't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because normally how this scene would play out is, you know, they'd hug and they show him and they'd switch over to her face, but they don't. They show him the entire time. You just see the back of Buffy when they hug. And then you see, you're just watching all of his reaction for like the first few minutes before they switch over to her. And it's just interesting because us as the viewer, we're watching him. We're waiting for him to recognize her. And we're kind of seeing it from Buffy's perspective. And it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um so Angel brushes off her concern and is a sharp contrast to the episode before where he comforted her when she was scared. Mm-hmm. He breaks off their hug and goes to put his shirt on, which alerts Buffy to the fact that he's acting different. She says, but you didn't say anything. You just left. And he says, yeah, like I really wanted to stick around after that. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. 
Um, and Buffy not quite hearing him right. What? He says, you got a lot to learn about men, kiddo. Although I guess you proved that last night. Buffy, what are you saying, Angel? Let's not make an issue out of it, okay? In fact, let's not talk about it at all. It happened. Buffy, I don't understand. Was it me? Was I not good? The way that she delivers that. Oh, gold stars. She's like, was it me? Was I not good? Like, it's just so vulnerable the way she says it. And he laughs. He says, you were great, really. I thought you were a pro, which pro is he's insulting her innocence and mm-hmm. saying, like, you are pro, like, being sarcastic. But pro is also a street name for a prostitute. Mm-hmm. So he's calling her – he's slut-shaming her in this mm-hmm. – In like, I was like, oh, my gosh. Um, How can you say this to me? He says, lighten up. It was a good time. It doesn't mean we have to make a big deal. Buffy, mm-hmm. it is a big deal. Angel, it's what? Bells ringing, fireworks, a dulcet choir of pretty little birdies. Come on, Buffy. It's not like I've never been there before. I noted that this line is extremely, well, awful. It's terrible. But it's also interesting because if you look at it from Angel's perspective, it actually was the first time he'd been there. It was the first time that since he had got his soul that he had, had experienced True happiness, true, mm-hmm. unfiltered, pure joy. And Apparently I, he hadn't been there before. <laughs> well, yeah, no, exactly. And so, and I, I don't think that it was the fact that, like, you know, they had sex and he's horny. It's, I think that it's more of the fact that, like, they connected. No, well, well, like, it's being with someone, physically, emotionally, everything with someone you love so much who sees you for who you are and finally getting to connect on that physical level because they had connected on every other level up until that point. And so it was like the, I don't want to say confirmation because that sounds so creepy, but like (laughs) it was just kind of the, the kind of physical, um, expression, expression. Thank you. Physical expression of their love and of their it was relationship. The last, it was the last step, you know. Mm-hmm. And he was fully seen in every aspect at that moment, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I know. I mean, he reaches up to touch her cheek, mm-hmm. but it's so condescending, and it's almost it it's so, a mirror. Oh my gosh! If I could, if there was one word to describe this whole conversation, it would be condescending. Like he, he attacks and weaponizes every single facet of her, like her innocence, her womanhood. Her, um, like, slut-shaming, like, everything. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, it's a direct mirror to the episode before when he reaches up and, mm-hmm. like, plays, like, with the little collar of her shirt to kind of comfort her. Like, these little these little touches that were so intimate are now just, like, so condescending. Um, And I wrote down, like, the thing about Angelus is he, he lies with the truth, which is why it makes it so hurtful. He adds just enough of the truth in there to make it painful. Mm-hmm. So it's Buffy's first time. She is innocent. She is a virgin. All this stuff. Of course but he, it's a big deal. Yeah, of course it's a big deal, but he's making it like, oh, hey, it's not really that big of a deal. Like it is. You know what I mean? He's making her feel crazy. Um, And obviously, obviously, Angel thought Buffy was perfect because he lost his soul. Clearly, he liked the sex. Okay? Like, you know. Yeah, for real. Almost a little flattering. You're like, you're such a douchebag, but at least I know you liked it. Yeah, exactly. Well, at this point, she doesn't know. That's Mm -hmm. true. That is true. Um, so Buffy reels back from him. Don't touch me, Angel. I should have known you wouldn't be able to handle it. Then walks away snickering, like snickering. Mm-hmm. Gaslight. 
that's just cruelty. That's that's more than just gaslighting. Yeah, no, that's just yeah, that's totally cruel. Buffy calls out to him in desperation. Like that's mm-hmm. that's all I can describe it is desperation. Um, and we're watching his face when she calls out to him. We don't see she's her. She's just she's desperate for any snippet of Angel or any affirmation. Snippet, yep. Mm-hmm. Anything that Angel would have given her, she I think she would have been okay. This is how desperate she was. She would have been fine if he just was like, sorry, I got worked up. Like, if he had apologized as Angel would have, she would have moved on. Like, that's how much she was so desperate of, like, any sort of affirmation from him. But he just was like, love you too. Yeah, he literally finger guns her as uh-huh. he goes out the door. <laughs> <laughs> this reminds me you know, of the Jess and Nick. new girl. Yeah. yeah. When uh, uh, Jess he says, uh, I love Nick you. says, I love you. And she gives him finger guns. <laughs> Because he didn't know he was going to say it. And he says it the exact same way. I love you. And she goes. "Mm." (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yeah. But Angel says it like, love Mm -hmm. you too. As he just. And then he walks out the door without even looking back. Like, oh. It gives me very much the vibes of like, I've observed when guys are unhealthy in relationships, they use the term. I mm-hmm. love you. I know where you're going with as this. As a way of, A, getting out of things, mm-hmm. B, smoothing things over, um, and just see they treat it as a very like, okay, I love you, I love you, shut up. It's, it's how they um, say it too. It's love right, you right, rather than I course. love you. Well, no, he says, I think he says love you too. Um, Which is different. Right. But, but it's still the fact of like, it's very much like, oh yeah, love you too. Like, sure. You know. I don't really care about you. I just want you to shut up. Mm. Like, that's the type of, like, you know, um, timbre or what, however you would vibe, say that, vibe yeah. that he's putting on it is very much like, yeah, 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 sure. Like. That's nice for you. Yes. It's very like, that's nice. That, like, thank you. Like. Yeah, like, yeah. No. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, okay, not to make this scene any more painful, but um, this is the quote from Joss about writing this scene, and it hits different now. So Joss says, I wrote this scene. I actually felt like an ugly person. I didn't know how I was able to write this so easily. I felt icky that I could make him say these things. It felt icky and kind of powerful. It was uh, – Oh, Let me finish. Let me finish. (laughs) It was uh, very uncomfortable and very exciting for me to do it. And then he later said, I might be a worse person than I ever imagined because I'm able to write this scene. I think I just tapped into somebody really horrible and it came rather easily. Scum. Uh, yeah. It, but I mean, we we know that he's made female writers cry and that he weaponizes his power over people. And so Mm -hmm. the fact that he says it felt icky and kind of powerful, the fact that you can make someone cry, I mean, like, not okay. So Mm -hmm. anyway, that was just a little, like, eye-opening reading that. What's Um, even grosser about that, I don't know, grosser is not a word, but you know what I mean, mm -hmm. is the fact that, like, Buffy and Angel were pouring their heart out in this scene trying to get it right. And instead of being like, wow, like, you know, I'm I'm glad that the writing came out, but but it was hard to write, and and then seeing you know Sarah Michelle Geller, you know, have to pour her heart and soul into that was really hard. Instead of saying all that, it's like it made me feel powerful. Like ah, that's disgusting. Yeah, or even just talking about how well they acted in the scene and how much they gave his writings like 
power and light. He talks about how he enjoyed writing it. He he. Uh, so the quote continues. He does talk about them. So we'll okay. we'll talk about that. He says, and of course David, well, forget about it. Considering that he's about as nice a person as you could ever hope to work with, he plays a bastard with extraordinary aplomb. Sarah, breaking my heart in this scene, she was very worried about doing it too. Kept saying she couldn't do it, she couldn't do it until I had to become firm and say yes, you will do it. And I realized that's pretty much what she wanted me to do. She wanted me to be mean and send her in there and be the top director. And of course I'm no good at that at all. I was like, you're going to be perfect. Darn darn it, please. And afterwards, she made fun of me for how bad I was at being tough. But she didn't really need that much. The fact of the matter is she took herself to that emotional level. She put it so beautifully on film. It's a painful scene to watch and possibly the best one we've ever done. So he does give Mm -hmm. the actress their accolades. But it's like, I don't know. It's just it's just like it's it's one thing to say, ugh, this is icky. Like I can't believe I'm writing this. Mm-hmm. But it's another thing to say that it makes me it's exciting for me and it makes me feel powerful. Two words I don't want to hear. Yes. You know, I've seen the outtakes of that scene where like Sarah was physically exhausted and emotionally, and it's like it's so heartbreaking. The poor girl was so mentally checked out. Like uh, David Boreanaz had to like. Every time, every in between, like the scenes, because he felt so bad because he had to be so douchey with her. He had to like kind of like not calm her down, but just like really help her because she was like so like distraught because she really poured everything she had into Buffy's character. Like every time Buffy was going through stuff, she was going through with her. And I think we said this in the last episode, but Sarah said um, she's been quoted saying like, I don't bring Buffy's demons home with me. I bring the pain, you know, like it just, it was exhausting for her, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, she really poured her heart into this and we appreciate it so much. So scene with uncle Enyos and Jenny, um, this scene was more of an achievement for Joss as a writer than the bedroom scene because he had to take a lot of separate elements that just didn't work and put them together. He talks about how Jenny had been sent there as a gypsy but had never done anything and had never accomplished anything. And we didn't even know that she'd been sent there until the episode right before. Um, he talks about how the gypsy curse just didn't make sense. He'd become a monster and kill more people. If he was happy, that's not a good plan. And so he says, I had a lot of disparate ends to take care of, a lot of things that didn't make sense. Used to be a script doctor, so he would take things that didn't connect and make them connect for other people. Um, He said he came up with the idea that vengeance was a living thing, the idea that they served a kind of arbitrary God that was itself irrational, completely justified. Um, And so he decided that that was the thing that was going to make this all fit, which I guess I was kind of like, the way he explained it, I was like, okay, that makes less sense than like everything we were talking about before. But when Enyos is talking about like vengeance is a living thing, it passes through generations, it commands, it kills, like that makes sense. And if you're, if you're like not thinking about justice, you're thinking only about vengeance. Um, But but you know what's interesting too? When he was talking, the way he was talking gave me eerily familiar vibes of how they talk about the slayer Mm. like passes down from generation to generation like um kind of like a living thing almost you know and obviously not similar but i think it's interesting how we've talked before about how the watcher's guide is kind of guide Watcher's Council is just kind of like, from what we know of it, is just kind of a group of men who just kind of sit there and do stuff and somehow dictate Buffy's life. And 
to me, I got similar vibes from Jenny, who unfortunately, mm. unlike Buffy, had a, was misguided by a council of men or a group of men that were following a calling um, and just directed her the wrong way. Like if Buffy didn't have Giles as a watcher, she could have been misguided as well. Yeah, that's an interesting correlation, Lee. I hadn't thought of that before. I mean, he talks about the elder woman too, so I don't think it's just all men. Um, but yeah, it's true. I mean, he says, he says, you know, it commands, it kills, and Jenny's, she's frustrated. She's like, there are terrible things happening here that we cannot control. And she's like, Angel, like, he can be useful to the cause. Like, why don't we give him a chance? And um, then finally, Enyos is like, well, I tried to stop it. But if he experiences one moment of true happiness, then the soul is gone. And then he turns back into Angelus. Um, and I try to stop it, but it's meant to be. And but it all is like, so, uncle pisses me off. It I'm is like, so... It is so manipulating that he didn't tell her what would happen because he knew that if she knew, she would tell Buffy and she would put an end to it. And so the fact that he purposely didn't tell her until he thought Angel had lost his soul is so manipulating. And I love how they put this scene in there right after the scene with Angelus because it's kind of showing like, yeah, Angela's hurt these group, like this group of people years ago, but what they're doing now is just as scummy. I think he yeah. underestimated Angela's too. Yeah. No, he might. He totally might have. I mean, this is a guy that's like generations removed from the mm -hmm. initial gypsy that died. It's quite possible. Um, he's just, you know, trying to go along with what tradition has always told him. I don't think it's that he underestimated Angel. I think that he didn't think it would affect him. And so he didn't mm -hmm. care. Mm -hmm. Because their whole thing is, oh, it was, it was our group. He hurt us. He hurt us. And so they didn't care who it affected as long as it wasn't them anymore and they didn't have to deal with it. That's why him dying is so jarring. But it's also like, you're an idiot. You caused this. Of course, this would come back on you. Yeah. I've just, I don't understand the the amount of effort that he went into for justice when it was like, one gypsy in their tribe. It's not died. justice. And that's the thing he kept saying. It's not justice we serve, it's vengeance. That's we are I mean, doing vengeance. this. But it's like yeah. one person that happened like what, 150 years ago? But it was also an innocent, pure girl who was taken advantage of, whether that means physically or they just drained her. But we know that there is a correlation between sex and. You know, draining someone's blood. So it was essentially a teenage girl from mm -hmm. their tribe who was taken, taken advantage of and, and killed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is, is that like, it's not rational. And so this is like Joss scrambling to try and fit it all together. And I mean, he he makes it work to a certain extent, but it's like, it it doesn't make rational sense, but like we talked about last week, how the gypsies hang on to things for a long time. And so this is fitting with their lore of like, hey, you hurt us. So we're going to hang on to this for years and years and years. Um, Jenny says Buffy loves him, Enyos, and now she will have to kill him. What a jerk. Um, Jenny, unless he kills her first uncle, this is insanity. People are going to die. Enyos, yes, it is not justice we serve. It is vengeance. Jenny, you're a fool. We're all fools. Uh, and this is when Jenny should have just gone directly to everybody and said, hey, guys, mm -hmm. guess yeah. what? Come on, Jenny. She doesn't. Ugh, yeah, frustrating. I don't fault her 
um, in the beginning, but I think that it's frustrating that she didn't just like come clean because that would have helped so much. Like Buffy could have been prepared. Like we all would have been in the loop. Like I don't fault her initially because that was like her people. Like she's kind of not given the full information. She was trying to help out the livelihood and give them a representation. And especially if you grew up hearing all of those horror stories, like it makes sense. But then having to, I don't know, not being upfront and being honest about stuff that's going on, especially if like what he's saying is alarming. You're like, holy crap, if this guy's what you say he is and he could really hurt people. Yeah. Well, the fact that she's like, you're a fool, we're all fools. She recognizes that this is stupid and she still does yeah. nothing. It's just, yeah, it's frustrating. So this hallway was created for the second season, so they didn't just have the one hallway to work with, which I thought was makes Smart. a lot of sense because I feel like in When She Was Bad, we're like, oh, hey, there's that little area they always <laughs> sit and talk with and stuff. What it, is it the cafeteria? Who even knows? Um, Joss said the most important principle was when in doubt, put Willow in danger. <laughs> True. Yeah, because it – well, it makes the whole group kind mm-hmm. of shake up because, one, she can't handle herself like Buffy can, but – Buffy cares for Willow and then Xander, that's his best friend. So it kind of rallies both of them up. And then when Buffy's riled up, then Giles gets riled up. So it kind of like moves the whole group. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, the audience too, when Willow's in danger, like I get legitimately get scared and I know what's going to happen. Well, because she's just so like dainty and small. Like I feel like Xander can usually carry himself a little bit, but it's always kind of a little scary when it's Willow. Yeah. So Willow comes back looking very similar to how sad Buffy was just like the scene before. And I always forgot like how brutal like these scenes are like back to back to back. You have that moment where Willow finds out about Xander and then we immediately go to like Buffy and Angel. Like it's just like one emotionally torturous scene after the, the other. The layering of this episode is genius because they have those little like intimate conversations and then they move on to like the more – like action packed towards the end of the episode. Yeah. But I, I will say, because I think especially like me and Sarah were just talking about how we didn't necessarily like the way that um Buffy handled her first interaction with Xander. I love the fact Yes, my bad. Um I love the fact that she calmed herself down, came back, and I think that it shows maturity the way that she handles us there, where she's just like, there is a bigger picture because I think that's one of my biggest pet peeves in shows or movies where it's like, I'm hurt and like the world's ending and it's like really not the time. Yeah. Um, but like Willow's very much like, I'm mad at you. I don't like I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand. Mm-hmm. I don't want to. But she's very much like, you know what? Buffy's in danger, Angel's in danger. There is so much going on right now and we'll fix like I'll focus on this later. And I think that that shows yeah. a lot of strength and a lot of maturity. Yeah. Um, Xander, I'm glad you came back. We can't do this without you. And Willow, let's get this straight. I don't understand it. I don't want to understand it. You have gross emotional problems and things are not okay between us. But what's happening right now is more important than that. And Xander takes it. So what do you guys think about that? I mean, I think she's right about the emotional problems part. (laughs) Yes. I think she's dead on with that. Um. I think her saying things are not okay between us. I don't know really what she means by that because she could mean like, I'm not okay emotionally right now. Therefore, us as a friendship is not okay. Or she's kind of blaming him for it. I don't really know. 
I think it's more of like our friendship isn't okay right now, which if I feel like case, is valid. That's, yeah, that's mm-hmm. valid if that's the case. But I, I also just like the fact that Sander acknowledges and sees the fact that his yeah. friend is hurt and just takes it and is mm-hmm. like, okay, like we will, we'll work on it. And like his silence shows maturity because yeah, I feel like sure. usually he'd be like, well, and like mouth off or make some joke. But the fact that he's silent and strong, it shows a lot of maturity. I think that's him also recognizing that this is incredibly hard for Willow and acknowledging it. So this is him going, hey, I see that you're struggling and I'm not trying to minimize it right now um, or ever. Yeah. So I just think that's really good. So Willow asks about the progress about the judge, which I just love the emotional maturity Willow has to be able to just switch gears and go, okay, world ending is important right now, you know, not what's going on between us. Um, and they all say that it took an army. Willow jokes about where's an army when you need one. Xander, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, th- I think I'm having a thought. Yeah, that's a thought. Now I'm having a plan. And the lights go out and you hear Angel call out to them and his face is completely shrouded in darkness. But, you know, we can hear that he has his vamp face lisp on. <laughs> I think it's like this scene is interesting because if – if we didn't know that this was Angelus, you'd kind of be like, okay, like it's Angel. Like, you know what? It's kind of, he's kind of being weird, but like you wouldn't really think much of it. And so I love seeing how like the characters are reacting without knowing that it's not Angel. Really? See, I feel like even though I know it's Angelus, I think that the way he's acting is very sus. It's like, very <laughs> sus well, for well, sure. It's not necessarily his voice. What would get me really uncomfortable is the fact that one, he's not showing us his face, he's in the dark, but also he's not moving towards them. He's having them come to him, which I feel like is huge tell sign of like, I don't know, like some like booby trap or like putting the power back on themselves, being like, come to me, I have something to show you rather than being like, oh my gosh, I have information coming to them to tell them. It's definitely weird, but I think that Angel has built up such a rapport with them that it's like him doing that. You're kind of like, Angel, why are you being so weird instead of being like, he's going to bite me? Like they have so much trust in him that he's using that to his advantage. But also even Willow goes, oh, like, what is it? What do you want to have? What do you want to show me? And he even says, oh, just come here. It's it's like it's cool or whatever. He's not even giving them answers, which is even more creepy. Well, it's a little sus because Angel's been missing up until now. So it's like, where have you been? Why are you suddenly showing up and being like, come here? You know, it's a little, yeah. But I think they're trying to show like the innocence of Willow in this sense too, you know? But I love that Xander picks up on it because like- I think he's waiting for this. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Like we've all given Xander his crap for how he's treated Angel, but- I love that if it's it's accurate that if anyone would pick up on Angel being weird, it would be Xander because he's so hyper focused and fixated on Angel resorting back to a bad guy. He didn't know he would lose his soul, but he he definitely thought he would resort back to being who he was. And so I love that we see Xander kind of clue in and is like. I don't know what's going on, but I know it's not good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, Angel tells Xander to go get the others. And Xander immediately is like, yeah, okay. Because I think he's in mindset of like, we got to save the world. You know, Angel's here. And then he's like, oh, wait a minute. And Jenny shows up. So, okay. Jenny clues in enough to know, okay, he's got to be Angelus by now. But doesn't think to tell everybody. I just don't understand Jenny's actions in this moment. It's very – um, she's trying to – 
self-preserve, I think. And it's like she's not thinking big picture here. I don't know. It's a little frustrating. Mm. I think she's still – I think a part of her wants to save everyone but still be the hero. I don't know if it's that. I think it's – she's probably mostly just trying to save her relationship with Giles. Yeah. She's trying to build up rapport so that if it ever comes out, she'd be like, hey, look, I did all this. Or she's just trying to like not let anyone know her involvement. Mm -hmm. You know, she's like, what's done is done. So I might as well not go to everyone because it's already Mm – like they'll figure it out soon enough, you know? Yeah. Um. Joss loved the way this scene was lit. He said, you could almost see Angel and Vamp face. It reminded him of the Joker when he first confronted Jack Palance in Batman 1989. He says, I don't know why people always think Willow is going to die because I'm never, I'm really never going to kill her. But it's always scary when she's in trouble. And I wrote, it's terrifying because we have Drusilla and we've heard how Angelus killed her whole family and friends. That's why we're afraid for Willow. Yeah. Well, she also represents, and even he says that he finds her cute and helpless and it's a turn on Mm -hmm. so we know that he's attracted to innocence and he loves distorting it hence buffy so um and loves making them feel crazy that's what he did with buffy and that's what he did with drusilla so i think it's very fair and i love how much they've built up knowing who angelus is to like a certain degree we haven't seen it but now we are seeing it for the first time with buffy and with willow and so this whole scene is just so jarring because if you're a longtime fan and you've been picking up on all the clues and you've been like kind of putting things together, especially through Drusilla herself, this moment is scary because even when I first watched it, I didn't think she was going to die. I don't think that they would do it that fast. Um, but it's very scary because you're like, holy crap, like this, everything is adding up. Yeah. Joss also says that they shot this obviously as like a horror movie feel, but also as, believe it or not, a Western. He says the idea of being over people cowboy style where they would be holding their guns kind of like a standoff because you have Jenny with her cross as a weapon. Well, you see her holding it in her hand, which is such a Western shot where they just show the hands like hovering over the the gun and you Mm -hmm. see their legs kind of like angling out to the other person. So that's true. Yeah, yeah. And he says, very big fan of the epic, the action, the Western, the bigger than life heroes. In the context of a horror movie, sometimes they don't go together because one requires a great deal of space and an understanding of that space. And another requires a small dark corner that you don't really get. He said, this scene gets to play both at the same time. Mm -hmm. And you'll see that throughout the rest of the episode, but throughout the rest of the series too, Joss likes to throw a lot of Western elements. And that's what kind of makes Buffy stand out from other TV shows because it it blends all these different genres together. So Jenny shows up with the cross. Um, just as Angelus grabs Willow by the throat, Xander, don't do that. <laughs> Angelus, oh, I think I do that. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> um, Willow just does not understand why Angel is doing that and Jenny reveals that he's not Angel anymore. And Angelus Grexer says, wrong, I am Angel at last, which is really interesting because imagine as a first-time viewer, you're going, what the mm-hmm. heck? Like, where does Angel end and Angelus begin, you know? Um, and I think, again, this is Angelus distorting the truth. He wants us to believe that it's Angel because he wants to effectively hurt Buffy. Mm-hmm. Um, says that he has a message for Buffy and then, why don't you give it to me yourself? Yeah. And- 
Buffy. I see, love this, this is, scene. This is Buffy's intuition because she must have followed him from his house. She must have. I mean, she obviously was like, "This isn't right. This is an angel." Um, but then you know, this is a, another standoff. Um, Angelus. Well, it's not really the kind of message you tell. It sort of involves finding the bodies of all your friends. Buffy, this can't be you. Angelus, we already covered that subject. Buffy, there must be some part of you inside that remembers who you are. Angelus, dream on, schoolgirl, your boyfriend is dead. And then during this, Xander takes the cross from Jenny and moves in on Angel. Good for him. Like, seriously, that's so brave. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that he called her a schoolgirl because Darla taunted him with a schoolgirl outfit saying, Uh, this is what you're into now, isn't it? Kind of talking about how he likes the innocent girls and that's that was never a reason that he was into Buffy like at all Angel and Angels are very different people um he liked Buffy because he saw her heart and how much she poured herself into everything that she did she was beyond her years mature um also Angel is as Angel is emotionally the same age as when he was turned um I feel like I have to say that because people get weird when it comes to vampire and high school tropes even though that's literally done every single vampire show and movie ever made so when people crap on that with angel and buffy i'm like then don't watch twilight don't watch vampire diaries don't watch (laughs) don't watch any of that then go off tabby go off (laughs) you cannot single buffy and angel out like that's dumb um but the fact that darla brought that up and it's very like everything just like I love how much that they are consistent with characters because he talks about how he's turned on by that. You see that I've already mentioned this, but the fact that he mentions it and uses that correlation of her being a schoolgirl because now he's viewing her as a child. He calls her kiddo in this episode, which Angel would never do. So I think he's using that because he's trying to find any area in her life to bring her down and break down her confidence, which doesn't work at the end of this episode. But I just thought it was interesting when I rewatched it this time because I never noticed that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting because you know Darla and Angelus roamed mm-hmm. the earth together for a long time. Of course, they're going to rub off on each other. Well, and she tried to be something that that she thought Angelus would be attracted to, which is a schoolgirl, but he wasn't Angelus. Yeah, that's a good point. So Xander shoves the cross in Angelus's face. He lurches back. And I wrote, this is like the moment you, like this whole scene makes you realize how tall David Boreanaz actually is. Like he like towers over all of them and it's really terrifying. Especially Allison. He's so tall compared to her. Yeah. So Angelus lurches back. Willow falls against Xander, grabs Buffy with a snarl and she gasps and jumps as he whispers very intimately, things are about to get very interesting. And he kisses her forcefully, shoves her against the wall and then goes out the double doors and like creepily like backs away and slides (laughs) out. But it's terrifying. Mm -hmm. It's so creepy. Well, he could have just stormed out, but he turned around and stared at them kind of wanting like um, gratification off of their like terrified faces. He well, wanted to see the after effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an intimidation tactic. Yep. But oh my goodness. And oh boy, things definitely are going to get very interesting. And and I can hear Xander's voice in the background. He's like, Buffy, are you okay? Buffy. And then she's just like, her whole body looks like she's in comatose. She doesn't know how to physically feel. She's in shock. Yeah. Yep. Well, I think this is where we're going to stop for today. Uh, Don't worry, guys. We will have part one of Innocence up for you guys on Thursday. Um, But until then, let us know what you guys think of part one. 
especially, you know, the heartbreaking turn of Angel turning into Angelus and um, Willow finding out that Xander and Cordelia have a relationship. We want to know what you guys think and stay tuned for part two coming on Thursday. Until then, guys, see you later. Bye.